Hello, everybody, and welcome to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. My name is Brad Shattuck, and I am your host. This podcast is about my personal experiences, stories, and events with dealing with borderline personality disorder, otherwise known as BPD. My experiences with BPD is due to my wife, now ex-wife, who I have been with for 34 years, was diagnosed with BPD in 2012. And I want to share my experiences with you so that if you are someone who has somebody in your life with BPD, that you may relate to what I'm saying along with my personal tips and suggestions that may or may not work in your specific situation. And if you are someone who has been diagnosed or think you may have BPD, that you may recognize the signs and understand the havoc and turmoil that it can have around people that are involved in your life. Let me caution you that I am in no way qualified or certified in the field of mental health and that my personal suggestions are merely my personal opinion and do not recommend that anybody take any mental health therapy into their own hands, but to personally seek out the help from a professional in the field of mental health. And furthermore, if you are a couple, you might even consider counseling to help further your relationship a little bit better. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and again, thank you for listening. Uh, today's episode is really, really interesting. Um, it's a, a question from a listener, and um, this gentleman, uh, his wife has BPD, but the general basis around his question is really controversial, and um, it kind of gets me upset. Um, more, I think, of the ignorance um, in his email, and I'm, I'm sure after he listens to this, he may send me a nasty response and I, I you know and i welcome anybody's emails it's not like i'm trying to attack anybody or anything um and you know i'm very non-judgmental but there seems to be some you know maybe it's not ignorance so much as it is um his lack of knowledge and i would say a, a huge lack of knowledge um and he's actually causing um a lot of poor excuses that is making not only is his marriage and his um, situation worse, but he's making his uh, wife's disorder worse. So I think you should really listen. This is going to be an, an extremely interesting episode. So I hope you continue to listen and uh, stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Again, thank you for listening. So um, I got an email from a listener. And like I said, at first I had said, um, this is filled with a lot of excuses um, and ignorance. But I'd like to correct that a little bit. It could be, like I said, from an extreme lack of knowledge. Um, But still, as an adult, there's some things in here that really should be uh, self-explanatory. But without uh, any further delay, I'm going to read the email to you. It says, hello, Brad. My name is Daryl. I'm 39 years old and married for five years to my wife who has been diagnosed with BPD four years ago. We have two children, a girl three years old and a one-year-old son. The problem is I love her to death, but the past three years has gotten worse and worse with her disorder. We have split up more times than I can count. But about eight months ago, we split up for four months. I moved in with a guy who I work with. His name is Barry. Barry and I get along great. We are friends outside of work as well. When we hand out Uh, When we hang out, we have some drinks and smoke a little pot, but not that often. 
I would say that about after two weeks of living with Barry, he admitted to me that he dabbles a little bit into heroin here and there because mostly he is also dealing with a shaky marriage, which has he has been separated uh, for over a year. And he has said the only thing that helped him with dealing with the relationship is heroin. The separation, uh, oh, the re- dealing with the relationship and the separation and to get out of depression in order to get to work and to get out of bed sometimes in the morning. He made a soft, friendly offer to me if I wanted to try a little to see if it might help me the same way because he thinks that I'm taking this even harder than he did. Long story short, I went from dabbling into it maybe two or three times a week to it becoming a daily habit. I honestly will say it's not out of control, but it is a daily habit, which because I try to go a couple of days without it, I get real sick. So I'm probably addicted to it at this point. So I moved back in with my wife about three months ago. And since then, I was already using heroin to deal with the situation, but I found I'm using even more to deal with the issues on top of that while I'm living back in the house. First, I'm not advising anyone to take my advice but I did notice that I can deal with the bitching, the accusing, the personality splitting a lot better, and that's in capital letters, when I am high. But let me say, I only do enough to deal with it and never too much where she would know I'm using it or where you see some people slouching slouching their heads or getting out of control or losing everything. Because if she did find out, it would be hell to pay and I'd probably lose it forever. Anyways, last week, my wife went to do the laundry Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And she found in my pants pocket a small straw that I cut to sniff my drug and a small baggie with just a very, very, very small amount. And I mean a very small amount in it. Well, when I got home from work that day, she didn't even let me get my jacket off. She approached me and with fire in her eyes, she smashed her hand into the palm of my hand. And when she removed her hand, there was the baggie and the straw. She told me she called one of her friends and came over and asked her what it was, and she identified it as heroin. From the look and the taste, because she used to be an addict herself, and but has been clean for 10 years. Anyways, she went up and down me, both sides, and wanted answers. But rather than to shut up and listen for answers, she kept going and going and going, and told me how her and her friend's hu- oh, told me how her friend's husband overdosed and died 10 years ago from an overdose of heroin, leaving her friend as a widow with only... Oh, sorry, leaving her friend as a widow with two young kids to raise on her own. And that's why she got clean. Then she said she knew there was something different since I moved back in. At first, she thought I was cheating because I wasn't getting so defensive or upset when we fought like I used to. I was so much more calm during the fights, almost like I didn't care. And I didn't want to fight for her love and defend myself like I did before. And that I didn't offer her a reassurance that when she accused me of cheating. Anyways, when she finally shut up, I said, well, the only, oh, I finally gave her some answers. I said, well, the only way that I can deal with your craziness and your absurd outbursts and your accusations is to be high. And, wow. And even you just said that I don't get defensive and freak out. So that should prove to you that it has been helping. So if I can prove to you, I don't spend much on it. And you also, you can see that I handle fights better in a more calm manner. I still go to work every day and all the bills are paid. And also, let me add in, I am not cheating on you and never will. Can we just leave this alone? And if I'm just acting the way I am, can we not bring this up again? Unless you see that it affects my ability to support my family. 
Well, to my surprise, she said, absolutely effing not. You either stop now or leave. No excuses. Anyway, she would not let me get a word in after that edgewise and made me leave and told me the only way she would talk to me again or agree for me to come back in the home is if I would prove to her through urine tests that I was clean and submit to random urine tests from her. This is my question. I could have lied and said it was my friends, but I gave, but I give myself credit that I admitted to it. But I also gave her, I tried giving her valid reasons to why I was using it. Don't you agree that as long as it does not get out of control and all the bills are paid and it did not negatively affect my family or our relationship, um, that I have the right to self-medicate myself? I'm doing it because I love her, but she did not want to hear that. I mean, I do love her enough that I'm risking using a powerful drug to deal with her issues, but she got me even more upset. I don't think that's fair. Um, and then she just got more defensive when I tried to explain it. All these reasons are valid. And mind you, I did it in a very calm manner. Oh, but also mind you, I was on it as I, I was on the stuff as well. Um, anyways, Brad, I love your podcast. I respect that you have dealt with your uh, with the dealings of BPD and your wife for 34 years. And you hit the nail on the head so many times with the issues that you have gone through. And you have faced so many of them. I'm hoping that you can relate to my issue and hopefully understand that and at least tell me that I have the right to use this drug if I wish to. If the main reason, the main reason underlined is so I can deal with the craziness that she brings to the relationship with her disorder. And I honestly think it'll make the relationship better. She just won't give me the chance. Thank you, Daryl. Um, Daryl, first of all, I don't care who you are, but if you have to use drugs to deal with a relationship or deal with the person in the relationship, that relationship is no longer worth having. I'm sorry. I don't care if it's drinking or even if it's pot, anything, anything artificial. I mean, other than you know, a prescribed medication, you know, for depression or something like that. Um, you know, you know, even if it's say the relationship caused, um, you'd have anxiety and you had to take medication for anxiety that's prescribed and diagnosed through a doctor. You do not have the right to self-medicate yourself. Nobody does. Nobody does. Because not only are you putting yourself in harm's way, not only are you putting your family in harm's way, obviously if you're working and driving home, you're putting the public at risk, dude. You know, you get, you're saying you got to be on the stuff daily. So that means at some points, I'm sure, you, you, there's no way you can probably deny this, that you're driving at some point. You're not, you know, you're being selfish when you're saying that, you know, you're only putting yourself at risk that, you know, uh, doing a dangerous drug. You hit the nail on the head when you said a dangerous drug. And you're driving, dude. There's families that drive on that road. How would you feel if you came around the corner and coincidentally, you hit that car and that car happened to be your wife and your kids in that car and you killed them? Are you going to say you justified that, well, hey, I was only on that stuff to deal with her. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to kill them. And, of course, I'm hurt because I killed them. But I had a reason to be on it. Bullshit. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being blunt, uh, brash, and swearing. But, no. And, again, I'm not trying to take it on you personally. But you got to really think about this stuff, dude. You know, I'm not saying you did this purposely out of ignorance. And, obviously, a lot of it is, um, you know, it shows here from what you're saying that you have been using for a long period of time. But I'll tell you right now. Even you said it. You started doing it, you know, a few times a week to it being a daily habit. Dude, it's going to become not just a daily habit. It's going to be an all-day habit. Next thing you know, you're going to be selling stuff. You're going to be putting your kids and your wife, um, the roof over their head in jeopardy. You're, you're going to start selling stuff without even a second thought and without guilt. 
you're going to bring them down along with you. And when you're all living in a tent because they don't have a roof over their head and they're still relying on you, you're going to say, well, you know, we have to live like this because I had to be on something to deal with your mom. Bullshit. Because I'll tell you one thing, if, if I was her, I'd say, you know what, if you have to be on something to deal with me, then we don't need to be together. Because, you know, even if she's on medication or not dealing with her issues, okay, that's a disorder she was born with. She didn't ask for it. She didn't walk into a counter and say, yeah, I'd like a number two or large size and uh, borderline personality on the side to go. Uh, no, she didn't ask for this. You are asking for it. You're self-medicating. If you need to deal with this problem, okay, with something artificial, what I'd advise you to do is go to a mental health counselor if you don't have one already and tell your doctor, I, I can't deal with this without freaking out. Um, you know, I, I clam up, I miss work, I get into depression, whatever the case may be, whatever you felt you needed to do, you know, if you're just saying, hey, you know, I'm giving myself, um, you know, artificial nuts to deal with my wife. Well, guess what? There's no medication on the market that's going to give you artificial nuts. The only thing that they might be able to describe you is if you're getting depressed because of the situation, maybe an antidepressant. If you're getting anxious, maybe an anti-anxiety medication. You know, again, I don't know. I'm not in the medical field, but from personal experience, people I know and myself, you know, with disorders that I have, they always say there's an ill for every pill. But I'm sorry. When it comes to balls, you get what God gave you and you deal with it. Life happens, dude. Okay, there's not a cure for everything. You can minimize something, you know, just like people with Parkinson's or something. They're on medication, you know, it may minimize and reduce, you know, their shaking and, you know, whatever it is somebody has. There's no cure. Okay, there's no cure for not having a set of nuts. Dude, if you can't deal with it, then you need to get away from it and tell your wife, you know what? I feel that I'm either going to have to use drugs to deal with you, which I'm not going to do. Or if I do, I'm not going to be around my family or get divorced. There's no way because what you basically told her, okay, that would almost be like saying, listen, you know, honey, I love you, but you're 300 pounds. Your hair isn't really the nicest and you don't wear makeup. The only way I'm going to make love to you and love you is if you lose 200 pounds, start wearing makeup and start doing your hair the way I want you to do it. Now, how would you like if she went up to you and said, you know what? You're not the greatest looking guy in the world. The only way I'm going to be with you, love you and make love to you is if you do your hair like like a rock star that I'm in love with. Um, and if you lose 100 pounds and maybe build your muscles up a little bit so you're a little bit sexy, other than that, I don't even like really want to be in the same room as you. You can't tell me that you would be offended by that. And you're basically telling her the worst things, that you have to be on one of the most dangerous drugs that's an epidemic in the United States that is killing people, wrecking families and ruining lives to deal with this woman. Number one, like I said, if you can't deal with her without being on something like that, dude, you need to leave her. Do yourself a favor, but more or less do your family a favor. That is the rudest thing in the world that you could actually even say to her. And by giving yourself credit, you actually said, I gave myself credit, admitted to it, and not lied. Oh, wait a minute. You're giving yourself credit for giving, saying the truth, for doing the right thing. Well, if that's the case, I'm going to give myself credit all day long, every day for doing right things, you know, for, for putting my blanket on, for stopping at a stop sign at a red light. I, dude, don't, don't be doing yourself any favors, giving yourself credit for telling the truth. All right. That, that's the right thing to do. Okay. That's, that's, you know, things like that, that is ignorance. You know, it doesn't have to be in dealing with uneducation about a drug, but give yourself credit for telling the truth. Okay. So are you going to give your wife credit? Um, for, you know, saying, you're walking up to you go, Hey, I just want to let you know, I didn't cheat on you today. Can you give me some credit for that? 
what for being honest and uh, you can't all right i'm not even gonna go into detail about that you deserve no credit for telling her the truth that was just the right thing to do uh that was the manly thing to do you know and what are you going to do lie about it and compile it who are you going to blame it on and then you, you can explain well how did your friend stuff get in your pants oh you let him borrow it i mean come on you're going to compound a lie and if you're going to be like that you must be a pretty good liar and stop believing your own lies and compounding them no bullshit that right there poor excuse um as far as the the habit you know again like i said the the not the ignorance but uneducation of you saying you know went from oh three times a week to becoming a daily habit obviously you could see right there oh you said you were dabbling in it from maybe two or three times a week into becoming a daily habit you even said that when you tried stopping it you got sick that is the difference of dependent and addiction the difference between dependency and addiction is dependency is when your body says it it, it needs it okay addiction is when you want it huge difference you know, your body, you know, heroin is an opiate. It, it produces, you know, um, you know, it, 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 sorry, increases your serotonin, your adrenaline, you know, your dopamine, all, all the things that make you feel good and give you energy, okay? But it's artificial. So, of course, when all of a sudden, you know, you're increasing that, your body is going, hey, I can sit back and relax. This guy's doing all the work for us. We don't, I don't need to produce serotonin just so we won't be depressed or, um, you know, um, it, um, oh my God, I'm getting myself upset here. <laughs> All the things that make you feel good, your body's going to stop relaxing because it's getting it artificially. You know, they say if you don't use it, you lose it. Back in 2003, when I almost had my leg amputated, I was on crutches for nine months. Um, and I had to learn how to walk again. So something I did for over 30 years, just because less than a year I didn't do it, I literally had to learn how to walk again. It took me f three months to build the muscles back up. And then about another three months to learn, just to learn how to take a step. And that day that I tried taking a step and couldn't, I cried. I thought I was never going to walk again because you can't fathom the thought. How do I have to literally teach myself to walk? I'm going to walk as a baby without somebody teaching me and I can't do it. So my point being that if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. You, you know, you're artificially producing your serotonin and um you know dopamine and everything that makes you feel good so when you go to stop this stuff all of a sudden your body sits there and goes you know it's getting sick it's like wait a minute i'm getting depressed i have no energy i don't feel good in the stuff in your body that produces all this stuff is going uh, well i don't know what to do i i don't remember how to produce this stuff i mean i haven't been doing it for a while he's been you know artificially producing it so your body slowly has to start producing it again and it takes a while for it to get back up to normal because you don't use it you lose it you know you, you, yeah you always produce a little bit but it starts cutting down because when you get to a certain level when you feel good your body's like okay it feels good stop producing well if you produce you know usually you know 100 percent throughout the day or 80 percent, whatever it is and you know that's your normal feeling when all of a sudden when you're giving it to your body artificially, your body may only produce 10% of it. So when you stop, so instead of having 100% of, you know, your dopamine and all that stuff that makes you feel good, you're only getting 10% of it. So your body's freaking out going, I'm depressed. I got no energy. I don't feel good. So it takes a while for your body to go, oh, wait a minute. Where's this artificial stuff? Oh, it's not there anymore. Oh, I got to start producing it again. So you got to start building it back up, you know, with uh, the, the proper vitamins and stuff like that. And, um, you know, getting your mental health back together, you know, it's physical and mental. Um, it, it, it takes a while just to get normal again. And 
to be honest with you, at this point, you might be an addict for life. You don't even know if you can stop. I mean, you said you stopped for a couple of days. I don't know how many times you tried it, but you saw you were sick. And a lot of times, a lot of the reasons, a lot of people keep doing it because they don't want to get sick. You know, that's like, you know, if you got the red coils on the stove and you know if you're going to touch it, it's going to hurt, okay? So you put, you know, um, you know, heat-resistant gloves on it and then touch it, okay? You're not afraid to touch because you got those gloves on. But if you know, yeah, now say those gloves is your drug, you take those gloves off, you, you're going to be afraid to touch it, you know? It, and you do, and you touch it and pull it away real quick. But with the gloves on, you no problem. You can sit there and put your hand on it. So the same thing, you know, your body's got to get used to being back to normal. But, it, you know, a lot of people continue to do the drug because they don't want to get sick. It's that feeling, you know, they've described it as, you know, the flu times, you know, 100 or 10, something like that. But they said it's so uncomfortable that they'd rather you know, risk overdosing and keep staying on it, then go through that sickness. You know, some people describe it as, um, you know, five days or five days to seven days, you have that real uncomfortable hundred times the flu feeling and they don't want to go through that. So they just keep doing it. Some people wean down, um, you know, like doctors, if they're going to get you off an opiate um, by law, I don't know if it's every state or it might be a federal law. I don't know, but I know for a fact in New Hampshire, it was with a friend of mine, when he got off opiates, he was on pain pills for like 10 years. And um, they found out he was um, getting them from multiple doctors and um, uh, dirty urines. Anyways, the long story short, they said, we're cutting you off. Well, he had found out from a friend of his, he went home and he's like, I'm sick. You know, they just cut me off. They can't. So they legally had to prescribe him, um, I think they called it a, a cut down or a wean down um, um, prescription and what it does it didn't matter if he was in pain or not it specifically told him you know take six and then four three two and then one down to nothing over like a, i think it was a two-day period a three-day period so that way otherwise it's considered cruel and unusual punishment because you will go through you know the withdrawals now a lot of people that get that last prescription they still abuse it because they don't plan on stopping um but the doctors once they give you that and they say that's your last prescription use it as directed and you're not with us anymore you know their liability is uh covered at that point you know and like i said i'm only speaking from you know things that i've either witnessed seen um you, you know experienced myself you know that's the only way i'll talk to anybody i don't say anything um of things that i don't know or you know just a hypothesis uh, i won't do that but anyways back to what i was saying you know, you might have already done a lot of damage. You know, you may all of a sudden say, you know what? I, I love my wife. You know, that was wrong what I did. I'm going to stop this stuff. Call her up and say, honey, you know, today was my last day. I'm not going to use anymore. And you have to understand something that a lot of people get this misconception. They stop doing drugs and the next day they're like, wow, I, you know, yeah, I feel a little bit bad. You know, like I like to use some, but this is nothing. I, I'm good. Well, guess what? That's because you still have some in your system from the day before. And this always depends on how much you, you have done, you know. Um, but the majority of people, that, that's a misconception they got. Well, guess what? It's day two of not having anything. Is all of a sudden when your body starts going, whoa, I'm almost on empty here. Um, what's going on? Day three is even worse. Four and five is the worst. You know, and then it's like you get like into a lull where it's those days where you have nothing in you and your body's not producing, you know, the dopamine and the serotonin and, you know, all the stuff to make you feel good and give you energy. So 
you know, some people, they sit there and they'll sleep for three or five days. They won't eat. They won't drink. They literally don't do anything. I had a friend of mine that literally laid in bed for five days. He didn't shower. He was barely drinking. Um, he used to drink like 10 coffees a day. He didn't have any coffees for five days. He just didn't want to do anything unless he absolutely had to. Um, and the other problem is um, a lot of these, uh, when you go through the withdrawals, opiates give a lot of people uh, constipation. I don't know what the actual, you know, um, physics behind that or, you know, pharmaceuticals behind that is and why it does, but it gives them constipation um, and gives them tight stools, at least, you know, why they use them. Well, when you stop, all of a sudden it's the opposite. And I mean literally the opposite. And my friend said, like, you know, just cough or sneeze and he'd shit his pants and, or, you know, piss himself. You just, you know, you have, like, your cognitive skills are, are off um, and, you just, you know, you get diarrhea anyways from this, but, you know, barely holding it in. He said he was so lazy that on um, one of the days in between, he ended up laying in it all day because he just did not want to get out of bed. He had shiver, uh, shivers, he had a fever, he had hot sweats and then cold sweats. He'd be freezing and sweating. He said it was horrible, horrible. But you know what? As bad as it is, you would think, just like with women, you think all that pain they go through having that baby, they say it's like shitting out a watermelon, um, that they'll have another kid and another kid. Some women have 12 kids. And you think all that pain, they're screaming, they're squeezing and punching. And, you know, we look at them like, we. they always say we can't even imagine the pain they're in. They, you know, they tell us, you know, imagine shitting out a watermelon. But again, you still can't imagine something unless you've been through it with anything. Um. These people, as much as hell they go through, and a lot of them go back to it. And then again, then they have experienced uh, the full withdrawals. And then it's even worse because they definitely don't want to go, excuse me, go through it again. So um, it just always becomes a merry-go-round of, you know, not want to go through withdrawals, going through the withdrawals. And um, then not only that, they, um, you know, you may find that you're a full-blown addict. You may... You know, I, I, you know, since this letter was sent to me three days ago, um, I don't know if in those three days um, this gentleman had stopped um, taking it and is going through withdrawals or started to and gave up. A lot of people do that. They, they get into like day two or three and they can't take it. So they get back into it. And that's the problem. It's not just the artificial feeling that you like or have to have or need to have. Um, it's not wanting to go through withdrawals. And, you know, so they give up and they quit within there and that's a problem. So it's not only, you know, the feeling of high or, or, you know, giving yourself, like I say, liquid courage or, you know, artificial nuts. It's, they don't want to go through the sickness. So it's a vicious, vicious cycle. So, you know, and it doesn't matter, you know, some people be like, oh, I've only been doing it for three months. You know, I knew a guy who did it for, you know, 10 years and, you know, he's clean and he stays off of it. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Um, you know, this stuff is so potent, you know, like heroin is, um, or the fentanyl is, I think it's 50 or a hundred times more potent than, uh, morphine. So, I mean, some people can do in one day, the amount that could, the equivalent that could kill a hundred people that don't do opiates, you know? So your tolerance level is there. Everybody's tolerance level is different. Um, <clears throat> your individual, um, time to break it down. You know, some people may have to do it multiple times a day um, or multiple, multiple times a day. Some people just have to do a couple times a day. 
you know, so, you know, your tolerance and how fast your body breaks down is different. So, you know, uh, and it's dangerous enough, you know, when people overuse um, prescription pain pills, they have this misconception, oh, doctor prescribed it to me, you know, it, it came from a pharmacy, you know, it, it's safe. Uh, it's safe if you take it as it's recommended. But even then, some people can still have an overdose. Um, and if you mix it with the wrong stuff, um, years ago, a friend of mine was on, um, um, acetaminophen, just, um, you know, plain old acetaminophen Tylenol. And he was drinking heavily at the time and a combination of, of him drinking alcohol and the acetaminophen, his liver and his kidney shut down and he almost died. He was in the hospital for 46 days. And even he said, he goes, you know, I went down to the pharmacy and got two bottles of Tylenol because it was a period he had some type of injury, and it's the only thing that was helping him with the pain. Um, but he was still drinking a good amount of alcohol, and I guess the alcohol he was also using to dull the pain. Well, the combination of the two was deadly. You know, it's like taking a match of gas. You know, a match by itself um, isn't deadly, but and gasoline by itself, uh, you know, consume it or put it near anything plantable isn't deadly. But you put the two together, and you know, you can burn the world apart. So, you know, these misconceptions in, you know, of saying, well, I knew a guy did it for this long and, you know, he quit and this, well, guess what? A guy could do it for 30 years and quit his first time and never touch it ever again. You could have somebody on it for three months and have a hard time for 30 years trying to get off of it. Everybody's different. And um, my uh, a relative of mine, her ex-boyfriend's father was on heroin for three years but he's been going to the methadone clinic for six years. So he's been on something to try to get him off of it longer than he was actually on heroin. So some of these medications are harder to get off than heroin. Like they have Suboxone, <clears throat> which they say is two to three times harder to get off than heroin. And methadone is 10 times harder to get off uh, than heroin. And those are, you know, methadone is um, prescribed through, you know, a doctor or clinic, whatever they do. And it's controlled through them. But the same thing, it, even though it's controlled by them, there's still risk of overdosing. You know, you may have that one day that your body doesn't break down. You're talking about a narcotic that's deadly, you know. And yes, they have, you know, a general guideline of how much they give people, but everybody's body's different, you know. And you may take the wrong thing. That, you know, we consume vitamins and uh, herbs and, you know, herbal supplements and all kinds of stuff like that. They don't test every little thing on the market with every other little thing. So, you know, you may be on, you know, say methadone or, or the, um, the Suboxone and you may just, you know, one day go into the, the drugstore and go, oh, there's this new, you know, um, herbal supplement. So it's give you energy and focus and this and that. Take it. Guess what? They just never happened to test that drug with the morphine, I mean, the um, methadone or the Suboxone and you can have an interruption and you die. You know, just because the doctor gives it to you does not mean it's safe. Um, and those are usually what they call, you know, gateways into addiction. There's so many people, I watched that show, um, um, uh, it's called Addicted, and then it's also um, Intervention. There's two shows, and they show this one lady, uh, her husband was, um, he's a psychologist or psychiatrist, he was making, you know, a ton of money a year, he was making like $300,000 a year with a private practice, you know, she was, um, you know, Stepford wife, they had the BMW, the Mercedes, um, you know, they had, you know, beautiful, beautiful, like $3 million house. And she ended up getting so bad. He ended up divorcing her. She ended up going to um, a condo down to an apartment, to a rooming house, to living on the street. 
And you saw pictures of her before, and she, you know, the typical Stepford wife, you know, she had the Gucci handbag and this and that and the other thing. And the next thing you know, she sold everything she owned. She had a ring from her great-great-grandmother, her grandmother, and her mother that she sold that she always told everybody she would die before she would um, let anybody steal those up from her. Um, and she sold them without a shadow of guilt at all. So, you know, I'm, maybe I'm getting off course here, but what I'm trying to say is you're minimizing with a lack of knowledge of saying, you know, I, you know, I'm only doing it, you know, just once a day, um, you know, and uh, not letting it, uh, you know, affect my, my wife, uh, my family, uh, my job, and then my bills are getting paid. Guess what? Everybody says that. I'm sure this lady said that she started out with Vicodin and it started out from, she cracked her elbow and, um, but I guess it was a bad heel. So she was on pain medicines for, I think they said almost a year, one year. And guess what? That was quote unquote prescribed by a doctor, handed from a pharmacy, you know, quote unquote safe drug, you know, doctor prescribed to me. And next thing you know, she went all the way up to, um, buying them on the street to taking Percocet to finally, um, to shooting heroin. And she said she was the type of woman who would pass out seeing the needle in her uh, getting blood drawn. And, you know, here she is. Her arm looked like a dartboard. It was horrible. So I guess her husband, um, you know, she lost uh, all rights to see her kids and everything. And um, he ended up moving um, away and finally convinced the kids that her mother, uh, their mother had uh, an affair, left with a guy and took off and doesn't want anything to do with them um, because he gave her multiple opportunities to clean up and she didn't. So he'd rather have them remember her the way she was um, and, you know, made her, you know, the, in their minds leave, you know, based on infidelity. And she chose not to be with them because technically she did choose not to be with them. And technically she did cheat on her husband. She, all her love and her good feelings came from an artificial source and not him. So um, if I was you, dude, like I said, first thing, clean yourself up, get yourself clean um however you have to do it if you have to go to meetings if you have to go into a detox or 28 day program do it whatever and don't say well i can't go away for 28 days you know what yeah you can you made the choice to get into it you got to do whatever you can to get out of it the person that deserves credit is your wife not you you don't deserve credit by saying you you know came clean and you know told the truth no you don't deserve credit for doing the right thing she does deserve credit because she should have said you know what i don't want to hear it there's no excuse what you just said. You, what you said was horrible. It was very demeaning to even say to her, dude, I can't even believe you said that to her. You're lucky you didn't get slapped in the face. She should have said to you, you know what? Everything you just said is the poorest excuse I've ever heard. Get your stuff, get out, and don't ever come back. I don't care if you get clean or not. There's no excuse. Don't ever, ever come back. And she could have gone through the extremes, divorce you, um, allowed you not to see your kids. And these days, if you're in that kind of position, you would have had a hell of a time to even get visitations to your kids, even if you could long down the road. So you know what? She deserves credit. She actually said to you to get cleaned up. And then if she allows you to come in to prove, she's actually giving you a chance, dude. You're lucky. Cause I'll tell you right now, if that was me, I would never even have that chance. This girl's giving you options. You're lucky. If I was you, I'd grab a hold of that. This obviously she loves you. Cause otherwise, uh, uh, she would have said, no excuse, don't ever come back here. You know what? And then you would have been a world of heat because then you wouldn't have had an excuse to change. You imagine where you'd be then? You'd be going down the road, a downward spiral, even faster. My advice, clean up however you have to do it. If 
you have to do a cold turkey, 20-day program, stick to it, though. But again, it's the residual effects that you're going to have to deal with now. You know, a lot of people think, I'll dabble into a few months. I can stop when I want. <laughs> of course, everybody says, I can stop what I want. Even if you're saying that, it's not as easy as it sounds. But you know what? It's the residual effects. You may have only done it for a few months, but you may have to go to, you know, get help for 30 years. You know, whether it's, um, you know, NA or AA meetings or get uh, counseling or whatever the case may be. That stuff can wreck a life. You know, you could do it for three months and the rest of your life, you're an addict, you know. And if you're saying now that, you know, you had an issue after a few days, you're going to be an addict for the rest of your life. You're going to have to deal with, you know, being around friends that might have it or, you know, drive down your old places where you used to get it or whatever. You're going to have to deal with this for the rest of your life now. So you've already caused irreversible damage. But as far as getting yourself clean, get yourself clean ASAP. And I mean, like, hopefully you already started doing it. If not, it, it, like now, now, start now. Prove it to her. Anything that you're doing to get clean, if you're, you know, buying stuff at the store, you know, that those detox drinks or whatever to clean your body out, get a receipt for everything. Log down everything you're doing. And I mean, log it down. It may not seem like much, like, oh, I went to Walgreens and I got this, you know, detox stuff cleaner system. Because every little bit that you can show her is going to prove to her, listen, all these little things are little things, but those little things add up. You know what they say? You go to a beach, every little tiny, tiny grain of sand, okay? adds up like when they say you know those commercials when somebody's recycling and they go i'm only one person i won't make a difference and then they show more and more and more next thing is a million people i'm only one person i won't make a difference it does so every little thing that you can prove to her will those little things add up rather than just saying hey i'm clean let her know i went through all these little steps you know even if she says i don't care as long as you're clean you know what she's still worth it to give her all those little reasons save those receipts log it you know today i went through hell and, and, and you're going to go through hell. And log it down. You know, today, day two, day three, whatever it is, you know, I puked. Um, I shit my pants. Um, I threw up. You know, I felt like garbage. Isn't that? Let her know and say, you know, I'm, I logged it. You know, th this is what I went through. And you know what? I deserved it. I put myself in that position. But I just want you to know that I love you that much. All these things that I went through, the pain and agony, I did it because... You asked me to, and I love you enough to be able to do it. And you know what? You're going to have to stick to it. And if I was you, I'd go to do like a LADAC. It's uh, LDAC. I think it's um, Licensed Drug and Alcohol Counselor, LDAC. And what they'll do is they'll sit down with you. A lot of them are court-ordered, or they're ordered like through uh, Child and Family Services. And a LADAC counselor, what they do is they you go there for like three or four hours, and they'll Go over your whole addiction. And I don't care if you've only been on it for three months, dude. Uh, I'm telling you, this is going to be a lifelong struggle for you. And you got a marriage and a wife to save, dude. And she's giving you that chance. I'd do it. Um, is they'll, you know, give you a questionnaire about your family background, you know, addictions in the family, your, uh, your addiction right now, what drove you there, triggers. I mean, they're going to ask you, you know, three or four hours of questions. What they'll do at the end is they'll give you a recommendation, you know, whether you're, you know, um, you know, they may say, you know, he had a short, big, abrupt addiction, but, you know, he seems like, you know, I think just, you know, maybe NA meetings or AA meetings, you know, it'd be good enough for him. But if they recommend, you know, 28 day program, go, you know, these people are licensed. It, it, they're licensed for a reason, LDAC, licensed drug and alcohol counselor. And they'll give you a recommendation if you should go to 28 day program um, and do IOP, which is intensive outpatient program, 
where you may go to a place three hours a day um, and go through classes. But I'll tell you what, you may say, oh my God, that's a lot of stuff. I, I can't do that three hours a day or whatever. You know what? You married that woman and you gave her the vows for better for worse, rich for poor, sickness and health, just like I did when I married my wife. And if that woman asks you something simple that you put yourself in, okay, she could have told you leave and don't ever come back. I'll tell you one thing. If my wife asked me to do something for her and she'd take me back and let me live with her again, I would do it. If she told me to cut my feet off and live in a wheelchair, I would. So, dude, you got it made. I can only pray to God that my wife gave me some conditions to go back to her. Consider yourself lucky. That's all I can say. Really consider yourself lucky because there's a lot of women out there that wouldn't do it. Okay, you would make them disgusted, and whether she doesn't know the um, sorry, the um, you know um, what it, the addiction really could have turned into. Maybe she doesn't have a lot of knowledge on addiction. She just might have heard heroin. Heroin's bad. You can see she didn't want to hear your excuses. You even said it. She wouldn't let you shut up. And you know what? That's great. I mean, she wouldn't let you talk. That's great because you know what? It wasn't your turn to talk. She found something. She put it in your hand. You shouldn't even have said anything. You should have looked at her and said, you know what? It's mine. There's no excuse. Can I ask for your forgiveness? And what can I do to make this right? That's all you should have said. The stuff that you said, oh my God, dude, you are an apology left and right. You just literally cut that woman down. And she gave you the fucking choice to clean up. And if you came back to make these conditions, oh my God, dude, you're the luckiest man in the world. You really are. You have an opportunity to have your wife. If you love that woman and you love your family, do it. Don't even think twice about it. I hope to God you've already started. And then you know what? You owe her the biggest apology in the world. You tell her that you did not mean what you said. And if you did, it was out of ignorance. And Or you could say, you know what? I did mean what I said, but I didn't think before I said it. And after thinking about it, that was so wrong to say. Because you know what? That's so artificial. Like I said, how would you like if she came up to you and said, you know what? You lost your chest muscles. You got a flab. You know, you're losing your hair. You're not the hunk I, you know, you were 10 years ago when I married you. But I'll tell you what, I'm shooting heroin now. And when I shoot, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like. I'll jump in the sack with you. How would you feel? You say, wait a minute, you got to go to bed with me because you get, wait a minute, you, you got to be on drugs to go to bed with me? You don't love me the way I was? That's what you told her, dude. You might as well just said, you know what, honey? You're not attractive and you're heavy. You know what? If you want me to love you and sleep with you from now on, why don't you lose 50 pounds, dye your hair blonde, and you know what? Start tightening up those muscles. Can you imagine she would have said to you, that's basically what you told her. And you didn't just talk about just making love to her. You, dude, you mentioned living with her. Every minute throughout the day that you're either not sleeping or not at work. Every moment you're with her, you got to be on something. Dude, you are so lucky. She just didn't slap you in the face and tell you to disappear. You are the luckiest guy in the world. I'll tell you right now, you're lucky to have that woman. Whether she's got BPD or not, you didn't even mention, like, you know, a lot about her disorder. This is more about you. You made this all about you. That's what you did. You wanted me to tell you that you had the right to self-medicate yourself to be around her? No, you don't. No, you don't. She didn't even have the right to... They give you a chance. Dude, I, I jump on that. You really are lucky. Because I'll tell you one thing. I would trade places with you 
not in your situation, but I mean, I, I would definitely, if my wife gave me the choice to change something, even if it was something that I didn't agree with, you know what? I mean, as long as it's within reason, but I'm saying, I just wish my wife gave me a choice to come back. I really do. Dude, you're lucky, and you really crossed the line. Not only are you on a, a dangerous drug that could have killed you, killed other people around you when you drive, wrecked your family, and what you said to her, just what you said to her alone, dude. You said you had to deal with her. You had to be on something to deal with her? Oh, my God. And she's giving you, yeah, okay, I'm not going to keep saying it, but do whatever re recommendations. If you can go to a late counselor. If not, what I would do, immediately clean yourself up. Call, you know, you got you to gotta call somebody and, and talk to somebody and figure out how deep your addiction is. Um, you may be, you know, very weak, ill, uh, willed. And if you think you're going to jump back into it, do whatever you have to do. 28-day program, AA meetings. I don't care if you have to do it every day, NA or AA, whatever it is. Go to a LADAC counselor. Dude, if your wife's giving you that choice, I would do whatever you have to do and then some. And then some. And if I was you, oh my God, dude, you had to apologize and kiss her ass. Because like I said, you didn't mention anything in there. The things that she has done to you, you made it all about you. Give you the okay to say you have the right to self-medicate yourself to deal with her? No. Maybe she needed to be on something to deal with you. That's not right. Dude, if you have to be on something to be in a relationship for any reason, get out of the relationship. And if you feel that you can't get clean to be with her, if I was you, leave. Unless some other guy who's going to be lucky enough to be with a woman like that. She may have disorders along with women. A lot of people have disorders. But for that woman to give you that choice, wow. Dude, you better buy her a dozen roses every day. I'm telling you. And it's not even about materialistic things. But I'll tell you right now, you better be extra super nice to her. I'm telling you right now, you owe her a lot. She gave you that choice even after you saying that. Wow. If I ever did that, I, I wouldn't even be able to have the right to look at her face ever again. Oh, my God. But you owe her a big apology and say, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I have to do to work with you with your disorder because I should have never say I had to be on something to deal with your disorder because what you should have done was ask her and say, you know what? Your disorder is getting bad where I, I can't handle it anymore. I'm getting stressed and this and that and the other thing. I want to work with you on this. Can we go to couples counseling? You know, I, the thing is, you know, if she's going to counseling and getting medications, are you going to any counseling at all? If you're not, I might want to start with that. You might have some disorders that you don't even know you have. You know, and maybe some of your issues are triggering her disorders. Because you didn't even go into any details. And I'd love to, you know, I'm hoping you listen to this. And I'm actually going to send you an email and tell you to listen to this. But I hope to God that, um, you know, you go to at least couples counseling and figure out, you know, if she's got disorders that she's having control through medication with all the medication you put she possibly can and doing everything her counselor's telling her to do. And if she still has issues that you can't deal with, then if I was you, see how you can deal with it. Maybe you get too depressed where you can't deal with it. So you might need an antidepressant. Maybe you get too anxious. You can't deal with it. You need anti-anxiety medication. You need to see somebody as well and see if you're getting all the treatment medically uh, and counseling so you can do it you may just find out maybe you just need a counselor to get advice from hey my wife does this when i do this is there any advice you can give me you may just need counseling not even medication at all maybe you need a combination of both but you need to do the best thing you can on your part medicinally through 
through an actual doctor um, and see if that will work. And I would definitely advise couples counseling. I would advise couples counseling to anybody because you know what? None of us are perfect. We may know ourselves, but guess what? Other people know us differently. You know, we may know how we react to certain things, but that other person knows you as somebody different. You may think you know you and they know you. No, you're two different people. You know yourself as one part. They know you as a different part. You, you know, we all, you know, say, hey, I said something very nicely. But guess what? That person saw you saying it differently. You know, everybody reads eye movements, mouth movements, shoulder movements, hand movements. When you say something, you could say something 50 different ways, the same word, on how you approach it, the tone you use, the hand signals you use, if you roll your eyes, if you don't. I'm telling you, get into couples counseling. But I can't stress enough. You better apologize to that woman, dude, and thank her up and down and explain to her, you could have right then and there told me to pack my things and never show my face again. And you gave me the choice and tell her, say, I love you that much. Say, I have the choice. You know, that I, I, you know, if you told me to leave, you know, I mean, you gave me that choice. I could have said, you know what? Forget it. I'm just, you know, not, I can't deal with it without drugs. I'm going to choose drugs and never show my face again. You say, I loved you that much that I realized I was wrong at what I was doing and definitely what I said to you. And I'm going to try to do everything and I will do everything to make myself not only better, but that better than I was before. And I want to work with you because I love you and I want to be able to understand you and understand that even with your disorder, you're on medication and getting counseling and there's no cure. And I'm sure it's minimizing the outbursts that you probably have. And it could be a lot worse if you weren't on medication and counseling. But you know what? I married you for who you are. And when they say sickness and in health, sickness doesn't always mean physical sick, physical sickness. It can be a mental sickness, mental illness. Nobody ever specified, you know, for Richard Forrest, sickness and in health, physical sickness. No. It's clarified as sickness. It doesn't matter what kind of sickness. You vowed to be with that woman. It doesn't mean, you know, sickness and health, but if you get sick and it happens to be a mental sickness and it affects me and I can't handle it, I'm going to be allowed to do drugs. No, no. Do you notice how short the vows are? Some people do write their own vows, but vows are very short. And yes, they can be interpreted different ways. But when you really seriously think about it, and I wish people would think about it before they say their vows and really like sit down and talk with them. You know, a lot of places like, um, I think it's uh, Catholics, you have to go through, um, you know, counseling before they marry you because Catholics don't believe in divorce. When, when you say to that person till death do us part, well, guess what? If you want to unmarry that person and divorce them, you're still alive. No, you vowed under the eyes of God and you looked that person in the eyes and said, you know what? I will love you with all these vows to the day that I'm buried, to the day that I die. Not if I feel I can't handle it, then I'm going to stop. No. When you look at someone like with my wife, I told her, you divorced me, I didn't divorce you. When I looked at you, I meant all those vows to the day I die. And we got divorced three years ago, but she divorced me. And I've been trying to get back with her since then. And I keep telling her when I buy her something or help her with her bills and um, offered to buy her a car and I paid her electric when it was $1,200 and shut off and she was three days in the dark. And she cried and she said, I divorced you. I can't take your money. I feel guilty. And I said, you're not taking it. I'm giving it. You divorced me. I didn't divorce you. I vowed for better, for worse. Here's the worst right now. Richer for poor. Right now, you're in the poor. And I keep telling her, you know, I know I understand she gets upset, but she divorced me for reasons I'm not going to get into. But 
she felt she needed to do it in order to make me realize what I was losing. And I realized what I lost. And I'm trying really hard to get back. And it's not easy for you to have that choice. You're the luckiest man in the world. But you apologize to that woman and make it extra special. You make her now that I'm not only going to fix what I broke, but I'm going to make it better. I'm going to take her out a little bit more. If you took her out once a month, take her out twice a month. If you only brought her flowers on a special occasion, you'll let her know. When you bring her flowers on Wednesday, February 22nd, she's going to say, what's the occasion? Say, you know what? I'm not bringing you flowers because it's a special occasion, but there is a special occasion because the occasion is special because I'm with you. Because every day with you is a special occasion. I hate when people only do nice things on anniversaries, birthdays, and stuff like that. What's wrong with March, you know, 23rd or, you know, April 16th? You know, it doesn't have to be Easter, Thanksgiving, or Christmas. You bring your wife something, and of course she's going to look at you and say, what's this for? Say, you know what? Just for being there, still being married to me, just for being you, because I love you. It doesn't have to be a special occasion. And the one thing you want to tell her, you might want to change one thing. When people say, I love you, a lot of times it's very selfish. It's not because they want to let that person know they love them. They want to hear that they're being loved. They may be having a bad day or they may feel that person's not paying attention to them. So they say, I love you so they can hear it back. You know what? Tell your wife now, I'm going to tell you I love you more than I did before. And you know what? I don't expect you to answer back and say you love me too, unless you feel you want to or you feel you do love me enough where you want to say it back. But I'm going to let you know I love you just to let you know that I do love you. Either because it's just out of the blue or I may feel that you need that little reassurance or you may look a little down. I just want you to know that I love you. I don't need you to say it back. When you ever want to come up and say I love you or you want to say it back, that's your choice, but I will never ask you to say it, and I will never give you a look or stand there and wait for you to say it. And I'm telling you, it'll make a difference. When she's doing the dishes, walk beside her and just rub her shoulder, give her a kiss on the neck, and just say, I love you, sweetheart. Make things out of the ordinary. Don't make her feel like she's a piece of furniture in the house that you walk by without acknowledging her. You better make things 10 times better, dude. If I was you, I'd make things 100 times better. Because if it was me and I had the chance to go back to mine, I'd make things a hundred times better because I'm trying to make them ten times better and she still won't take me back. You're a lucky man. So, number one, get yourself clean. Get your shit together. And then when you do, prove it to her. And if she changed her mind and says, you know what, I changed my mind, deal with it, dude. You brought it on. And the things you said to her, I can't believe she's willing to forgive you. And then you thank her for giving you that choice and thank her again for taking you back. And you promise her, I will never do that again. And I will never say anything like that to you again. And if I do, I don't think you'll have to tell me to leave because I'll walk away myself. And you know what? Thank God that you have a wife like that. Thank him every day because you're a lucky dude. But again, it's probably the longest episode I ever did. But you're lucky. Again, please don't take offense. I know I was getting a little bit hushed and nasty, but... There's a lot of ignorance in there, you know, but you made them not a thought before you sent it. But I'd reread that if I were you and think if you were in my position or in your wife's position, if you read that, how would you feel if she wrote that email to me about you? Put yourself in that position. But again, 
I'm going to end this with saying, if you love the person that you're involved with that has BPD, understand them as much as you can and love them as much as they can because they find it so hard to understand themselves, the disorder, and they find it hard to love themselves. So with that being said, good luck to all of you and have a happy life. You've been listening to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. I hope you enjoyed the show, and please check out my many other episodes. I hope you get some beneficial suggestions from my experiences. And remember, we're all responsible for our own choices. I'd like to remind you that if you have someone in your life with BPD, try to understand them and love them as much as you can, because they find it so hard to be able to understand themselves and love themselves. So thank you again and have a happy life.